0: Friends, today we'll continue our series through the book of Habakkuk. So if you open up your Bibles to Habakkuk 1, verse 12, here's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offering to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly, killing nations forever, I will take my stand at the watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Have you ever been disappointed with an order you place at a fast food restaurant? I'm sure most of us, have, perhaps all of us have, and why is that? Often because the picture did not actually match the order you placed, right? One branch of professional photography is actually food photography, and within food photography, there are people who actually specialize on food styling, Their job is to make the food as appealing as possible so we can first buy with our eyes and then be disappointed with our bellies. The problem? Most of the time, the food that food stylists put in front of us is not food at all, they're not edible. Soap instead of foam. School glue instead of milk. Acrylic ice cubes. The goal is to make it look good, not taste good. There's a parallel here with the spiritual world, isn't there? Not all that glitters is gold. Sometimes The theology we know does not match the experience we have. Sometimes what we know or think we know about God does not match the experience we have in life. And this evokes those three little letters. Followed by a question mark. Why? So what do we do when the God we know and the life we experience seem to contradict one another? How do we walk in faith when we are living in the land of why? Well, Habakkuk helps us answer this question this morning. Remember, last two weeks ago, we began this book, and Habakkuk comes before God with his complaint. Lord, your people is wicked and violent. And God responds to Habakkuk. Don't worry, I will judge my people. And I will do so with a people that is more wicked than them. I will bring upon them the Chaldeans. And Habakkuk today responds, Lord, why such hard judgments? Why such harsh providence? So my my main thought, my guiding thought for today is this. Habakkuk responds, well to God in His complaints. And we can learn this from Habakkuk. When our theology and our experience in life don't seem to match, Habakkuk reminds us to prayerfully wait on the Lord. It's, it's a matter of time. It's a matter of time for us to understand the providence of the Lord. It is very hard to understand the big picture that God is painting with our lives when we are in the picture. When the picture is being painted. It is very hard to understand the providence of the Lord in our lives when we look out on the windshield. It is so much easier. For us to understand the providence of the Lord when we're able to look in the rearview mirror and understand that although the providence of the Lord may be hard, the Lord is always with us. And He always has a purpose. Nothing we live through is meaningless or purposeless. The most, the most simple fact in your life to the great, greatest suffering that you have ever experienced. God will say to you, I have a purpose. I intend for this to happen for your good and for my glory. So what do we learn from Habakkuk? We learn first that Habakkuk has a theological turmoil Within him. Theology is the study of God. It it is trying to make sense of who God is. And to rightly understand theology is to rightly understand God. And friends, there is nothing more important in this life than to rightly understand God that is the pursuit of our life that is the goal of our lives will spend all eternity pursuing god seeking to understand him perhaps you've heard well-intended christians say i don't care about theology i just want to love jesus but then if you follow that statement up with the question who is jesus that person would have to use theology to answer. So, So, it's a superficial statement. We need theology to know God. Because God can be known and God has revealed himself to us. Theology is our friend. It helps us know and grow in Christ. And here's what Habakkuk teaches us today. When we don't understand why God is allowing us to go through hardship, we need to go back to the basics. What do we know is true about God? So what is Habakkuk's theology, especially in verses 12 and 13? Well, look back at verse 12. Habakkuk knows that God is eternal. Eternality here is really a statement of God's power. He is not shaken by current events as we tend to be, right? Have you feel tempted to look at the news every five minutes for the past month? God is not surprised with anything that has happened in the world in the past 6,000 years. From eternity past, God has never been surprised, caught off guard, said, I never expected that. That is God's experience. He is not shaken. So in the midst of pending judgment, in the midst of shaking ground, sinking sand, Habakkuk is able to look at God and say, you are a rock. You are solid. When all else gives way, I know I can stand on you because you are stronger than my circumstances. But not only is God eternal, eternally powerful, Habakkuk also highlights the fact that he has a relationship with God. Look again at verse 12 you see the personal pronouns there he is my lord he is my holy one the covenantal name of yahweh is evoked here habakkuk knows that god is personal god is a personal god he is not beyond our reach you know, when I was a kid, I, I was never too big compared to all the other kids around me. So sometimes I would get in trouble with bigger kids. And I would try to defend myself however I could. But I have a brother who is six years older than me. And sometimes when I would get in trouble at school, I would tell my, my friends, my brother is coming. My brother can defend me. And and, and the reason why that was special is because it's not just because my brother is powerful. It's because he is my brother. He's not their brother. He's not someone else's brother. He is my brother, my defender. In a much greater way, friends, we can look to God and say, He is my God. If God was powerful but not personal, then we should dread him. If God was personal but not powerful, what could he do for us? But Habakkuk reminds us that God is powerful and that he is our God regardless of our circumstances. Habakkuk also knows that God is faithful. Now, we don't see the word faithful in this passage, but we see the concept here. He says, we shall not die, in verse 12. It's interesting that Habakkuk goes from the singular pronouns, my God, my Holy One, now to the plural we. We. This is a reference to the faithful remnant of Israel. Habakkuk knows that God has a purpose for the faithful remnant. And God never forgets those who are His. Isn't that such a sweet reminder for us in whatever circumstance we may be going through today? God never forgets those whom he loves. Friend, what God wants you to know today is that if you have come to Christ by faith, if, if, if your life is resting on Christ, He has not forgotten you. Whatever your life circumstance may be, God is for you and not against you. God has not forgotten us. And our eyes need to go to the cross before it goes to our circumstances. Habakkuk also knows that God is just. He's ordained the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, as a judgment on Israel because of Israel's sin. And he established them for reproof. In verse 13, he reminds the Lord, Habakkuk, that his eyes are too pure to see evil and to look at wrong. Clearly not a reference to God's inability to see wickedness. We know from the book of Job that Satan stood before God. We know from Proverbs that the eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch of the evil and of the good. But this is a reference to God's inability to look at evil and stand by idly. And here lies the prophet's perplexity. And this may be your perplexity today as well. Because it may feel like in your life that God is standing by idly. If God is just, why is He idly watching a more wicked people in a more oppressed, a more righteous nation? Why is God looking at evil and doing Nothing about it. Have you ever asked that about your own life? Why me, Lord? Why this hard providence on me? I've prayed about this. Why don't you just answer? When we... When what we know about God and what we experience in life do not agree, this three-letter word seems to haunt us, doesn't it? Why? Why, Lord, is everyone around me getting married but I'm still single? Why, Lord, did you let my loved one die? Why, Lord, does everyone seem to be happy in their marriage, but mine is falling apart? Why, Lord, do you allow evil men to exercise such power and oppression on the weak? Friends, I probably don't know the answer to the why question you are asking today. But I can tell you this, you are not alone. You are not the only one in the Y territory. We are all there. When you walk into these doors, and it seems like we all have everything together, have our lives together, friends, you just don't know us well enough yet. There is a sense in which in this end of eternity, we all have pressing whys in our hearts. We're all there in different ways. You are not the first one and you won't be the last one to find yourself in the land of why. God promises to wipe every tear from our faces. But that will take place in eternity future. This age is an age of tears, pain, and suffering. The difference is not that some experience pain in this life and others don't. The difference is that some experience pain and run to the Lord, but others experience pain and run away from the Lord. Friends, Habakkuk models right complaint. You see, there is a difference between complaining to the Lord and complaining about the Lord. We want to do the former, not the latter. God welcomes us with our wise. God welcomes us with our wrestling. You know, I often hear people say, I am angry. At God. Can I encourage you not to do that? That's a very dangerous thing to do. We shouldn't be angry with God. God should be angry at us. And yet, His anger, His anger, is absorbed by His Son when we come to Him in faith. When we approach the Lord, approach Him in humility. Be honest, be bold, but be humble. It is a dangerous thing to stand in opposition to the lord but it is a safe thing to come to him as a child comes to a loving father what habakkuk models to us here is how to to pour out our hearts to the lord when we don't understand his providence god wants your honesty god wants you to be real with him Friends, what I want you to hear today is that the Lord is inviting you to come to Him so that you can wrestle with Him in prayer, in tears, in suffering. Because when we do that, we share the experience of Job, who says this, After suffering, I had heard of you by the hearing of the year. But now my eyes have seen you. You see, Job's experience with the Lord grew. He could only hear the Lord, but now has perceived him with his own eyes. Now now he could say, I have a relationship with God that is deep. And that's what happens when we walk with God through pain and suffering. Israel had an enemy, the Chaldeans. They wanted to destroy Israel. Israel, We have an enemy. His name is Satan. And he wants to destroy us. He wants us to think that God is not for us. But that's a lie. If you are in Christ, God is for you. More than reading us of our sufferings, God wants us to find purpose in our suffering. God wants us to find Him. In our suffering. Years ago, when I was the music minister of a, of a church in Miami, one of the members of our church lost her daughter. And I remember that woman's suffering was great. It was grave. But I remember that woman walking into a prayer service. And a lady who had many years before that, lost four children the same day in a sinkhole in Nicaragua, walked up to her, and hugged her. And what that woman did for that suffering woman was more valuable than a thousand sermons. It was more purposeful than a rightly exeges ex- 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 interpreted passage of Scripture. It was valuable because her pain found purpose. Her pain found its goal to comfort others in the Lord. Friends, we need not to ask the Lord to rid our lives of pain, but instead to show us, Lord, what do you want me to learn through this experience? I also want to say two things about Habakkuk's understanding of God. Habakkuk misunderstands God in two ways. His theology is largely right. But he misunderstands God in two ways. First, Habakkuk charges God with being idle in face of evil. This is not true. We should never confuse God's patience With God's acceptance of sin. Psalm 94. Says the God. Is the God of. Vengeance. Paul. Says to the Romans. Beloved. Never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Says the Lord. So if you have suffered great injustice in life and you wonder if justice will ever be paid, the answer is yes, the Lord will avenge you. No act of wickedness will ever go unpunished. But Habakkuk's second misunderstanding is more dangerous. Because Habakkuk's second misunderstanding is actually his ability to self-assess. He believes himself to be more righteous than the Chaldeans. And, And there is a sense in which, yes, there are different degrees of righteousness and there are different degrees of wickedness. But in the eyes of the Lord, wickedness... His wickedness. He is comparing himself and saying, I am better than the person next to me, Lord. Won't you give me credit for that? Won't you give me credit that I am not as bad as... Fill in the blank. Friends, if we look out, we always find somebody that is more wicked than us. But the Bible does not call us to compare ourselves to others. The Bible calls us to compare ourselves to Christ. We must be holy as God is holy. And in that expectation, we're all indicted. And in that expectation, we are all guilty. This is why Paul says, No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one understands seeks God. God has every right to judge everyone because no one is righteous. Friends, we do not deserve the grace of God. If it was deserved, it would not be grace. What we have earned instead is His judgment because of our sin. So if God is to be just... Apart from His mercy, hell would be filled with every person who has ever set foot on earth. You and me. That is our destiny by nature. If God would not intervene, that is nothing we could do. But God's justice is met by His mercy. There is one who is good. There is one who in every way we failed, He succeeded. There is one who obeyed the Lord perfectly. Every commandment. Every law. There is one who says, I came to fulfill the law. And by fulfilling the law, He receives all the benefits of the law. He receives every blessing of the law and He is counted as righteous. His name is Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus Christ is our only hope to escape the coming judgment of God. Only when we find ourselves in Christ, we're spared the justice of God and eternity in hell. So do not rely on the fact that you are better than the person next to you. Do not rely on the fact that you have done some good in life and hope that your good will outweigh your evil. Do not rely on your works because your works apart from from Christ are not counted as good but evil. Friends, the only hope we have to be spared the justice of God is faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So today, the message that I want you to hear is this. Come to Christ. Confess your sins to Him. Recognize that you would never come to God had He not loved you first. Acknowledge your depravity. Acknowledge your sin. And come to the righteous one. Trust in Him and in Him alone. If we add anything to Christ, we lose Christ. But if we abandon all things and we say Christ is my only hope in life and death, along with Christ, we have all things. This is the hope of Israel to trust in its Messiah. This is our hope today, to trust in Jesus Christ and find our salvation in Him. Habakkuk's turmoil was not just theological, his turmoil was also experiential. Habakkuk knows what is coming. God will use the Chaldeans to chastise his people, and the Chaldeans were wicked. The Chaldeans rise in power it was because of their violence, it was because of their wickedness. They conquered other people who were more wicked than them with violence. In verse 14, Habakkuk compares Israel's pending future to the experience of fish and crawling creatures. They don't have rulers. They are at the mercy of fishermen who catch them all day long. Israel had experienced in the past good kings who protected them from their enemies. King David powerfully slayed giants and defeated armies. Solomon led with wisdom. Jehoshaphat sought to unite the kingdom in purpose, and goal. But now, the line of kings was about to come to a halt. Who would sit on David's throne? Who would fulfill David's Covenant. As we continue reading about the history of the people of Israel, instead of, instead of talking about its own kings, Israel starts talking about King Darius and King Cyrus and King Nebuchadnezzar, foreign kings. Friends, a people without a king. Is a people at the mercy of others. In verse 15, he describes the wicked practice of the Chaldeans of lining up slaves they conquer with hooks in their mouths and stringing them together in a procession of open shame. They drag their slaves. Like fishermen drag their dragnets by the thousands. And not only that, they also rejoiced in mockery. In verse 16, they worship their own nets, their own weapons. They idolize their might. They are their own God. In verse 17, Habakkuk circles around to his questions. Will the Chaldeans keep their wickedness forever? Will they swallow up the nations? Habakkuk is perplexed. But why? Because Habakkuk knew that God was a God of love and peace. But in God's response, all Habakkuk heard. Was justice and judgment. We hear so often that God is a God of love, don't we? But is He? Is God a God of love? The answer is, of course. God is a God of love. But God's love is complex and not simplistic. God's love is transforming. His love does not leave us to our own devices, but it leads us to a place where our confidence leans on nothing else but God Himself. Friends, sometimes in order for God to take us there, to faith on Him alone, He has to strip us of everything we hold to dearly. Job, shortly after experiencing the loss of all things says this Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. I was talking to a member of this church a few weeks ago. who has gone through significant suffering in his life. And he said, If I were planning my life, I would not plan it the way it turned out. But if I had to live it again, I wouldn't change a thing. What a mature response to the providence of the Lord. What a mature response to the sovereignty of God. This is knowing that the providence of the Lord though hard, is necessary. But if it's necessary, if if we're going to grow in holiness, and if we're going to grow in Christ-likeness, we must embrace the providence of the Lord. If you're suffering in your Christian walk, this simply means that God loves you enough Not to leave you to your own ways and to your own devices. Psalm 119, verse 71 It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. There is no growth in Christ without suffering, there is no growth in Christ without hardship. Friends, it is impossible to belong to Christ and not suffer. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 6-7 In this you rejoice. By the way, that word goes with suffering so often. Rejoice. Though, though now for a little while, if necessary, actually that means because it's necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that, here's the purpose of trials. Okay. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what Peter is saying. God puts us through hardship and suffering so that our faith will endure. So do you want to be saved? Do you want to be with God in eternity? Rejoice in your suffering. Do you want to spend eternity in bliss and in joy in a place with no tears, no pain, no suffering? Thank the Lord for His hard providence in your life today. This is what Peter is telling us to do. This is what Jesus would have us do. One of the marks of the believer is that he is acquainted with suffering. Why? Because we follow the footsteps of our master, Jesus Christ. A man acquainted with sorrows. You see, Israel had a line of kings. And and these kings, in many ways, ways, delivered the people out of suffering. But in many ways, these very kings delivered the people into suffering. But that would be a king who would come. And this king would not deliver his people into suffering, but instead would take upon himself the suffering of his people. He would walk this earth, proclaim, My kingdom is here. Repent and believe the gospel. Follow me. This king would alone pick up his cross, walk, and he would deliver himself up. And on behalf of his people, he would suffer. He would die. He would be raised. And he would ascend to the right hand of the Father. This king now tells you, come to me because my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. It was necessary for Jesus to suffer in order to accomplish God's purpose. It was necessary for suffering to take place, for God to fulfill His desires. So, friend, we learn from Christ. We learn from Christ. Friend, let me speak to you directly if you are going through a significant season of hardship in your life today. If you're suffering and your suffering feels unbearable in a room this size, it is likely that some of us are going through that. If you identify with the prophet that is saying here, it feels like your captor has placed A hook on your lips and is dragging you into the land of suffering and bondage. Friend, you're not alone. We're here for you. The church is here for you. Your deacons are here for you. I, your pastor, am here for you. Do not delay on reaching out for help. Don't believe the devil, don't believe his lie that you are beyond redemption. You are not. God has so designed the church that it as, functions as a hospital for the broken souls. We're all broken and in need of help. So don't be afraid. Don't be embarrassed. Reach out. If you need to speak to someone would you come up to me at the end of the service and let me know? Or if you want to do it in a more private way, would you call the church office and ask them, can I, can I speak to someone about my suffering, about my hardship? If your marriage is troubled, reach out now. We can help you. If you are concerned about your children, reach out now. If you're struggling with your faith in Christ, reach out now. If you're experiencing depression, if you're struggling emotionally, reach out now. The church is equipped to help you. And no one is more equipped than the church to address issues of the soul. Children, I want to speak to you as well if you're here. Life as a child is wonderful and it's sweet. And, and very often when you're very young, you have an expectation for life that is higher than it should be. As you live, you will be disappointed. As you grow, you're going to realize that the people you admire are not as great as you think they are. So, I want to tell you that when you, f- when you feel disappointed in life, that is a great opportunity for you to tell God that. For you to say, Lord, I, I'm so disappointed. I was expecting this, but I'm experiencing that. Children, many Millenniums ago. There was a man and a woman. Called Adam and Eve. And they had everything they needed. But instead they sinned against God. And ever since they sinned against God. Life did not, does not take place the way God has designed it to take place. So I want to remind you. That the world is not as it is because of sin. But God. God wants to help you when you experience the consequences of sin. God actually wants to help you deal with sin rightly. So when you are disappointed in life, God is your friend, and He wants you to come to Him, and He wants to help you. So, so when you're sad, when the person that you once trusted let you down, Know this, God will never let you down. God will always be true to his promises. God never breaks his promises. So at a young age, can I encourage you to trust God, to believe in him, to confess your own sins to God and to trust that Jesus Christ died to forgive your sins and to give you hope? I want to encourage you, To do that, your parents, all of the members of this church want to encourage you to do that, and they want you to do that today because it is better to do that today than later. Now, let's consider also Habakkuk's right response Habakkuk waits on the Lord. My wife often says that if you are a Christian, you need to learn to enjoy waiting. Because waiting is a significant part of the Christian life. In chapter 2, verse 1, we find Habakkuk waiting. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. The prophet positions himself on the watch post, on the wall. This is, a, this is military language. This is a military position. He's waiting to hear the response for the Lord just as a soldier waits for the army to come. He's not waiting idly. He's active. He is actively listening for the lord he is actively silent i wonder if uh, your prayer life is characterized by long moments of silence waiting on the lord for a response many of us have never heard a response from the lord in our prayers because we are too preoccupied with Telling the Lord what is in our hearts. When He already knows what is in our hearts. Prayer is not about quality. Let me just quickly pray over here. Over quantity. Prayer is actually about both. Very often, quality in prayer will come with quantity. How much time we spend in our knees. Will make A prayer, a prayer of quality. Friends, we live in a noisy, busy, restless world, and yet we have constant access to the throne of peace. Do you want to discern the will of God? Let Him speak His will to your hearts. Be quiet in the presence of the Lord. When God is about to deliver His people out of Egypt and destroy the armies of Pharaoh. Moses says this to the people, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Psalm 37, verse 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Habakkuk knew that God was a faithful covenant-keeping God. He knew the words from Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps His covenant. God was not about to forsake His people. God always comes through for those who are His. And the covenant-keeping God is the same God that covenants with us today. Waiting for, waiting for the Christian is the tutor that instructs us on how to live for the glory of God. In 1956, five American missionaries landed a plane in a strip by a river in Ecuador. They wanted to evangelize the Waldonians, a wicked tribe That was murdering itself. These five missionaries were prayed for by their five wives and their children who waited to hear the reports of this missionary endeavor. Before they left, they sang the hymn, We Rest on Thee. We're about to sing that hymn in just a few minutes. These missionaries, led by Jim Elliot, landed. They approached the tribe with the good news of the gospel. And within minutes, they were killed. Their wives, their children, though grieved, decided to trust the Lord. And they went on to live in the midst of that tribe who then accepted them, who then heard the gospel and repented. Elizabeth Elliot, the widow of Jim Elliot, learned throughout her life to wait on the Lord. That which was dearest to her was taken away from her. But she learned that in the hard providence of the Lord, you can learn the will of the Lord. So we must, we must patiently seek the Lord. Elizabeth Elliot Elliot once wrote this, I realized that the deepest spiritual lessons are not learned by us, but by, by His letting us, His that is God, letting us have our way in the end, but by His making us wait, bearing with us in love and patience until we're able to honestly pray what He taught His disciples to pray. Thy will be done. So friends, may our prayer today be the prayer that Jesus taught us. Lord, not my will, but Thy will be done in my life. Would you pray with me? Father, we desire to know Christ intimately. Lord, we desire for Him to take control of our lives. Lord, we desire not to tell You Primarily, where our will is. But instead to ask you, Lord, what is your will for our lives? So Lord, as we learn silence, as we patiently come before you and say, Lord, I will trust you even when I'm challenged to walk away. Lord, when we say this, would you help us? Build the, pa- the patience that comes from your Spirit, trust in your providence, and trust in you alone. Father, we need your grace. We tend to be restless. Lord, we tend to be hasty with our words, but we must not. Lord, may we not judge you But may we trust your judgments. And may we remember that you are a covenant-keeping God who is merciful towards those who are yours. Father, we trust you. Help us when we don't trust you. We believe. Help us in our unbelief. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.